Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. You're listening to an archive edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. Well, it's been a year since that chaotic exit from Afghanistan by U.S. troops. During the summer and fall of 2021, we aired a series of conversations titled Leaving Afghanistan. Those were conversations with Iowans who performed all types of work in Afghanistan over the two decades of war there. Uh, We're checking back in with a number of them now to get a sense of where their thoughts are. On September 11th, 2001, a Tumwa native, John Paluska, was 18 years old, a freshman attending Fordham University in New York City. It was on that day, on 9-11, many of us remember it so well, that he witnessed firsthand the collapse of the Twin Towers from the roof of his dormitory. Uh, He spent the next six days volunteering at Ground Zero, aiding in the rescue and recovery operations, He subsequently joined the U.S. Army and later became a Green Beret with combat deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, and other locations. John Paluska is a Purple Heart recipient. He is medically retired from the military since 2017. He's co-founder of the 9-11 Memorial and Museum Visionary Network. Uh, And uh, you can hear my previous conversation with John Paluska about those incredible experiences I just mentioned. Uh, Just have your browsers search for this series, Leaving Afghanistan, Iowa Public Radio. Well, John joins us once again today to share his thoughts one year after U.S. troops left Afghanistan. John Paluska, what a tremendous joy to have you back on our program. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. And I, we're connecting with you in Florida. You sort of manage uh, your time. Uh, you're still very connected with Iowa, the, a family farm you manage uh, in Davis County outside of uh, Bloomfield. Uh, but you're in New York and Florida and a lot of different places. We're glad we, we caught you. Let me start off by asking you, John, your reflections now as we mark one year since the exit of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Um, and I would say that, uh, you know, that's a very loaded question. Um, what we experienced as service members who deployed, uh, spent time, lost, you know, some of our friends served alongside of, you know, um, you know, Afghan soldiers, um, saw families, you know, suffering and, you know, the way the withdrawal happened, it's, it's something very tough for us as you know veterans mm-hmm. to experience um you know i would say i'm preoccupied by um um you know fear for you know those who are there um you know thinking about the questioning the meaning of um you know some of the operations i went on you know the the war in general over the 20-year period i think you know when you asked me this question last year ben i really um you know wasn't even able to to talk about it but um it's it's uh it's it's a tough topic. Yeah. We remember, I mean, so vivid the nightmare a year ago at Kabul's airport that suicide bombing killing, you know, about a dozen US service personnel um and many more Afghans who had uh, were desperately seeking to escape the advancing Taliban and now we have hunger widespread in that country, uh poverty, drought, um and of course uh, and a special focus uh, on the women of Afghanistan as they sort of step back in 
in time, it seems, from the reports that we are and not in a good way, stepping back in, in time. Yeah, as far it's as, a uh, collective we, trauma to, to many. Yeah. I know, uh, uh, John, a, a special focus for you this past year has been um, uh, um, an Afghan named Habib, uh, and, and a special forces counterpart you worked with. Um, tell us about Habib. Uh, uh, take us through your experience with him this past year. Yeah, sure. So uh, I, I deployed my last Afghan deployment, uh, 2013 into 2014. Um, I was in the you know de- deployed in support of about um, you know three large um, areas that you know, had about 270, 280,000 um, Afghan um, nationals there. Uh, we had one. Afghan Special Forces team, a, uh, a special operations EOD team from the Afghan side, and then our uh, 12-man uh, Green Beret team um, with, with a handful of other kind of uplift U.S. forces. Uh, we were embedded in the middle of, um, you know, a hot zone right outside of, you know, what they called Ring Road, um, you know, which protected, you know, kind of, the, you know, the smuggling operations of, of weapons and, uh, you know, that would you know, ultimately end up in Kabul. And so it was a pretty strategic location as far as, um, you know, future planned, you know, withdrawal and training these elements, these forces, these, um, you know, governments to, you know, support security efforts. Um, and, you know, it wasn't just all about, you know, kinetic operations, you know, kicking in doors. And um, it, it was also, you know, setting up, you know, land leases, you know, setting up veterinarian clinics, uh, you know, it, working with, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the more economical sense of, you know, building markets uh, for, you know, more prosperous communities, which would then, you know, in hope turn, um, you know, Afghans, you know, who were under the control of, you know, Taliban um, to, to, you know, move towards those villages that, you know, had a, a little bit better life. And, and so that's, um, you know, where we are at. And, you know, when, when I mentioned it was a, a little bit of a hotbed area, um, you know, the, I will say that the day we landed, um, you know, the Taliban smart, they, they knew it was going, I was replacing a Navy SEAL team. Um, I was still under a, a Navy SEAL command at the time. Um, you know, we commonly switched, uh, uh, kind of, uh, you know, missions there and we had about, uh, you know, three, four Katusha rockets, uh, arrive in and, and, you know, talking to the SEAL team, they hadn't, you know, been falling in out of the sky for a couple of weeks. And so they, they certainly welcomed us, um, you know, seeing all the, the Chinooks and Blackhawks come in, deliver, you know, our team and our equipment. Um, that was really the, the start of it. You know, fortunately, nobody was, was hurt in that incident. But, you know, over, over the course of, you know, the next six month deployment, um, you know, we certainly, um, you know, saw loss of, uh, you know, life, um, you know, on, on all sides. In, in particular, you know, we lost a lot of our Afghan counterparts. Um, mm-hmm. I worked with two special forces teams, in particular, one in, in most. And I will say, hands down, in my entire military career, um, you know, spanning, you know, about 15 years, you know, reserve active duty time um, and, you know, all my deployments, uh, there was one gentleman who um, probably saved my life and the lives of Americans more than any other mission, any other operation, any other deployment that I had been on. And, you know, to Habib, it was personal to him to keep us alive, uh, invest in his country. But, you know, first of all, you know, we were his family. 
Um, we, we shared a, a lot of uh, intel with him. He was an intelligence officer. Um, so that know, was his, after, that was, yeah, that was his, just want to clarify his role there. He was not an interpreter. He was more than an interpreter. Yeah, he so he was the the best English speaking person. Absolutely, he is a brilliant individual. Um, you know, learned self taught English. Um, you know, self taught a lot of the kind of uh, intel operations. He worked with a lot of our special operations um, human intelligence specialist. Uh, you know, that ran sources, and he, but he was part of a special forces team. So it's each special forces Green Beret team has one dedicated person who is senior and kind of runs uh, you know intelligence sources and and uh, you know obviously takes a smart person and lots of training to do that. Um, you know, he he provided through his intel and you know building rapport, you know establishing credibility. Um, you know, creating trust with the locals, you know, with those who were maybe, you know, Taliban friendly per se, um, you know, kept us alive. Um, and, you know, we, we got in a number of gun battles um, across and, you know, they would always, um, you know, say, hey, you know, we need you to, to hang out here. We're going to go in the front. And that's kind of, you know, kind of, you know, has a, you know, Green Beret is an enabler force. Um, you know, you, you, you train, equip, advise and, and teach the, the foreign force. But um, Habib in particular knew um, a lot of the, 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 the kind of the forward mission of what we were doing. And he knew we wouldn't be there for long. He knew that, you know, some areas we, we use the, you know, green, yellow, and red. Some areas that were yellow, we couldn't turn green. Some areas that red, he, he just wrote them off as red and, and said, that's fine. Let's focus on, you know, structuring these areas. And so when we got on onto the ground, I mean, we, we pulled him in our tactical operations center. We pulled out our maps and, uh, you know, he was there every single night. I had, um, I had dinner with my uh, local district governor, um, Dissawal six nights a week. Uh, Habib, you know, had the privilege. You know, even though he wasn't an officer at the time, he was you know senior enlisted. And uh, you know, he had the trust of the governor to to come inside and be in those meetings. Um, and and um, you know, just kind of recapping, you know, I, I I can't, you know, maybe don't want to talk through some of those battles that we went through yeah. and the times where, um, you know, his my exact counterpart, my Afghan special forces captain. Um, you know, was, was shot in the stomach and, and uh, you know, I got him an, an American bird, uh, medevaced out and ultimately ended up dying. Um, but, you know, Habib led the team. Um, you know, a number of his guys got shot. He got shot about two times. And I mean, the incredible wow. resilience um, you know, for what he wanted. You've been listening to an archive edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. You're listening to an archive edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I want to remind those who may have just joined us, I'm talking with John Paluska. He's a retired U.S. Army Green Beret, native of Ottumwa, Iowa. So many other things uh, that he has done. Um, witnessed firsthand the collapse of the Twin Towers from the roof of his dormitory in New York City. And there's a whole story there that is as interesting as what you're hearing right now about what propelled him uh, to serve his country and the great service he's done, not only in the military, but afterwards. But I want to focus now this hour. Uh, I can see we will want to talk to you again, uh, John, in the future. But where is 
uh, Habib now? Yeah, for uh, you know security purposes, I'm, I'm only sharing um, you know a, a portion of his legal uh, first name, not his you know his full legal first name. Uh, he's in e- Eastern Afghanistan uh, at the moment. Okay, what have you been doing? Because I know you've devoted a lot of time and effort. Uh, your goal is to uh, Habib, as we're calling him, was left behind. He he he's choosing to stay, or he couldn't get out. What 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 is the uh, backstory there. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good question, and there's there's still a lot of um, unanswered questions that I think you know many of us that have been told through you know the the the, the SIV special immigrant visa program, um, you know the the State Department you know guidance on you know who they're helping, how they're prioritizing. Um, you know, Habib was one of you know 500 ultra elite special operations. Um, you know who also spanned a uh, 15 year military career um, you know from from the time he was 16 years old um, he tells me he was 15 when he when he actually joined uh, you know fighting alongside American forces um, and you know in, in his first or second year you know went to, to work with uh, you know US Army special operations uh, we, we thought these folks would be you know prioritized um, because you know as we with as we work with them you know there's a, a number of uh, systems you know, I, I can't really go into the details, but, you know, we'll use uh, retina scans, uh, fingerprint scans, uh, you know, enter a lot of theirs and, and do whatever kind of, um, you know, background check that we can with them. And, and we do this on an ongoing basis to, to monitor our security and safety. Um, these devices are now in the hands of the, the Taliban and, and some of the most dangerous, you know, folks. Um, Habib has sent me um, translated uh, messaging emails where Taliban has specifically released the li- this list of names. Um, they're targeting people like him. Um, we, we've, I've helped, uh, n- you know, try to navigate him through a, a number of, of different opportunities, you know, to, to survive. But, um, you know, with the, the fall of, of, of Afghanistan, I mean, it happened so quickly. We weren't even in touch in the in the first couple of days, um, and you know, you know, really, if you if you think about that tragic scene of the last C-17, um, yeah. you know, one of the last C-17s taking off and you know people dropping from the sky, um, you know, that that's you know kind of where it was was left at, and and um, you know, I'm I'm still working with the uh, U.S. government. I've um, you know received you know some some guidance from. Uh, uh, Representative Miller Meek's office, who's helped you know put me t- in touch with some folks, but really it is in the hands of the uh, the U.S. State Department, um, and it seems to be a very slow um, you know yeah. process. And you know it, this this is something that I'm not going to give up on. Somebody saved my life, saved Americans' lives, um, and you know I'm you know dedicated to get him here to the United States. I've written the the U.S. State Department said I'll take him, I'll train him, I'll I'll get him a job and he will make America a better and a safer place. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately that's, that's our, our intent. Um, and, you know, we came finally, I mean, you know, Habib and I probably chat and text message or, or FaceTime with our whole families, um, you know, anywhere from two to four times a week. Yeah. So, so the task here, the challenge here is not to only to extract Habib, but also his family, of course, right? Yeah. That would be the ultimate end goal. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and he's 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 certainly um, the priority, and he understands that um, be, because of the risk 
of you know who he is and in the the hit list of what he has done alongside American forces you know you know fighting against the Taliban so um, you know it, it's it's really a priority to to get him to to safety yeah you've described it I mean with the retina scans they have all that documentation so they can identify him once they have him they could identify him 100 percent and so he's in great great mortal danger yeah we we um <clears throat> he shares his location with me uh anytime he makes movement um you know I, I i i i don't know what i can do with that information obviously if something you know goes you know terribly wrong um but in the earlier days you know i was help uh you know i financially support him you know through through this last year um you know we, we almost bought a, a tuk-tuk taxi and you know he was renting a, a taxi i was helping paying for um and you know he would get stopped and and you know he'd get questioned and you know he felt that there wasn't enough of a threat where you know people were saying we you know we know who you are and he'd get beat up a little bit and and so he had to change kind of his uh his role, and that, and that was actually a good source of income at the at the time. And now um, he's working out in a in a, in a distant uh, farm um, in, a, in a very 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 small village, um, you know, harvesting uh, wheat and other crops. Yeah, we certainly don't want to have um, too much information about his location and so forth given away here. But thank you for sharing that. I wonder more broadly with your experience as a. Uh, uh, former member of the U.S. Special Forces, what can you say about, well, are there Special Forces, U.S. Special Forces still in Afghanistan? So, uh, you know, the, the U.S. presence, the U.S. troops, um, you know, for, for boots on ground, you know, we're, we're removed from um, Afghanistan. Are there Green Berets, uh, former Green Berets, who have gone into Afghanistan and, and help extract, um, you know, families? Uh, yes, ab absolutely. Uh, I think that was more of a, a question um, and an opportunity in the initial few weeks uh, than where we are at uh, right now. Um, you know, we, we, I think the U.S. government always has a, a, a little. Uh, we would hope has a, a pulse on what is going on, and they have you know other uh, assets that you know we can use, um, but. You know, as as far as you know, military, U.S. military boots on the ground. I mean, that is uh, that is a no. Yeah, yeah, but but the impression I get in reading about this, um, it, as a non-military person, non-ex special forces person, is of course this is something you would want to keep hush hush. Uh, if you have people, hundreds of people, you still want to extract. You know, you you don't want that on anybody's radar except your own radar, and you want to keep extracting as long as you can. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, there's still there are still Americans over there. Um, you know, I think more so those Americans are choosing to stay over there at this point. Um, you know, those who have kind of reached out, I, I, you know, to my understanding and knowledge, you know, the, the State Department has prioritized all of those. But, you know, if you're talking about, you know, Afghan Special Forces uh, partners or those who are senior members of the, the government there that, you know, supported all of our operations over the last 20 years, um, you know, there there are a number of those that are unfortunately um, just kind of, you know, dropped off the, the, the list. And, you know, I think the State Department's now just overwhelmed with, 
um, you know, hundreds of thousands of requisitions and, and, you know, you know, have the ineptability to, to prioritize, you know, those. And, and so, you know, I certainly want to, you know, highlight for, for the program, for the listeners out there, um, you know, who this individual was, what he did um, for his country and, uh, you know, what he did for me, my family to come home safe to, you know, my American special operation teammates. Um, you know, he, he sent me, or going back, my wife sent a whole bunch of Santa Claus hats um, during our uh, operation. And, and, you know, there's a photo I commonly look at when I want to smile. Um, and they were kind of messing around uh, on Christmas and we all got together and took a photo and then his team got together and took a photo and, and, uh, it was right around Christmas. Um, I, I sent him a reminder of the photo and, uh, you know, he, he was really grateful that to see that again. And he returned the photo to me, screenshotted with X's through everyone in that photo who had been killed. And, you know, I, I knew oh. of, uh, about three of the folks, including my, my, uh, captain counterpart, um, and, and it was over half of the, the, the team. They were about 15, 16, um, you know, personnel. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, you, you asked me last year when we spoke, you know, where are you, what are you looking at? And I was, you know, looking at, you know, ground zero in the pools. And when I think about the Afghanistan withdrawal and you think, you know, you see the C-17 taking off, you see the picture that is reminiscent of, you know, withdrawing of the, the Chinook, you know, leaving, you know, Vietnam. Um, I think about this photo and I think about what we accomplished with that group, um, you know, how we made it a sa safer, more sustainable place and then I think about the blood and, and sweat and loss of life that occurred, um, you know, not, not only on the American side, but on that, you know, team. Um, and, and that's that's a hard pill to swallow. And, and, and you just think about Habib, who's stuck there, and he lost all his friends, all his teammates. You know, I think there was a lot of confusion in, in the last couple of days right before it fell. And they're like, OK, well, I mean, he, he kind of loosely interpreted, uh, you know, what had happened. And, you know, they didn't have orders. You know, they were still kind of, you know, grouped together. You know, should should we go over here? It's just stand by. And then you know, it got to a point where they didn't really receive, you know, any official direction. And everyone's like, I guess. I guess I got to go protect my family. Um, and and you know, this was, you know, a couple of days after they, they, they weren't in, you know, one of the major cities at this point, but um, you know, they, yeah. they took up arms until the end. And, and then, you know, he, uh, Habib sees the news, you know, he's you know, part of social, uh, you know, he has access to social media, maintains a yeah. low profile, we of course, but uh, you know, he knows what's going on. Right. John, we have to take a break. We'll be back in uh, for the second half of the program. A riveting conversation with uh, our Iowa native, John Paluska, native of Ottumwa, um, witnessed firsthand the collapse of the Twin Towers that uh, shaped his life uh, tremendously. After that, he joined the U.S. Army. <laughs> Before that, he's volunteered at Ground Zero, aiding the rescue and recovery operations there in 2001. Uh, became a Green Beret, combat deployments in Afghanistan, Iraq, other locations, Purple Heart recipient. Um, we're so grateful to have John here to share his views. John will be back in just a moment. Uh, John Paluska, retired U.S. Army Green Beret. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. These days, there's an app for everything. Now there's an app for everything you love about Iowa Public Radio. Local newscasts and stories from the voices you trust, 
your favorite public radio shows and podcasts, plus the music to soundtrack your day. You can have it all in the IPR app. Find it in app stores or at IPR.org app. You're listening to an encore edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. Back in touch with our friend John Paluska, a native of Ottumwa this hour. Um, we've had s- such uh, amazing conversations with John uh, before. He relayed, um, you know, how on September 11th, 2001, on 9-11, uh, he witnessed the collapse of the Twin Towers from a dorm roof. Uh, he was uh, attending uh, university in New York City. Um, he helped uh, in the rescue and recovery operations, joined the U.S. Army after that, became a Green Beret, and uh, was deployed in Iraq, Afghanistan, other locations. And uh, he's uh, also co-founder of the 9-11 Memorial Museum and Visionary Network, wears some other titles, and is also still in touch with Iowa. He manages a farm with his wife, uh, uh, the farm outside of uh, Bloomfield, Iowa, in Davis County, uh, so we're speaking to him today. Uh, he's in in Florida. Uh, President Biden vigorously defended his decision to exit Afghanistan. He announced that, I believe, you know, sometime in the summer, perhaps in the spring. And then it uh, just sort of uh, cascaded to the climax, a horrible climax in the uh, end of August uh, 2021. Uh, one year later, what do you think of this decision by uh, President Biden to exit? And I, I'm not looking for a partisan answer here, here, John. I, I'm just looking for you know your expertise to weigh on, weigh in. Did we have an alternative? Uh, would it be worth the expenditure uh, that we would still be spending there? Worth having U.S. troops in in danger there on the ground in Afghanistan now? Was it only the the exit that was horrendously bad, or was the exit itself, getting out of Afghanistan, also a bad decision, you think? You know, I think history has written the, the books on this one, and, and the, you know, in generally, globally, and the United States, uh, specifically us, you know, there's a systemic failure of this forever war. You know, it's, it's uh, there, there's no great solution to you know, end the war in Afghanistan. There was no great solution to end the war in Afghanistan. I think the the, the plans for the, the current withdrawal were abs- an absolute failure. You know, then result, uh, you know, where we have, you know, all these weapons, you know, the, the intelligence assets, um, you know, essentially, you know, you think about, you know, September 11th and where Afghanistan was and, you know, 20 years later, you know, what we, you know, made Afghanistan look like uh, today. It's scary, and I think in in the future, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful. You know, we we can say otherwise, but uh, you know, I, I this is something that we will be dealing with long, long after this. Putting troops on the ground is is probably no easy decision. I <clears throat> I've never been a commander in chief, nor do I ever want that role or responsibility. Did we save American lives? Uh, you know, by the way we withdrew. From what I feel, I would say no. Uh, you know, knowing about the suicide bombing. But I also, you know, lived in a community of the the Green Berets, you know, where we saw some of the highest casualty levels because, you know, we were uh, embedded in austere locations with a, a lot of without a lot of support, relying on our local nationals. And, um, you know, there's organizations like the Green Beret Foundation that are constantly supporting 
um, you know, those who are, you know, killed in ac- action. And it's not just Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I was in, you know, at a, a first special forces group. We lost folks in, you know, other places in Asia and, and uh, you know, combat operations. So, I mean, we're, we're deployed in over, um, you know, 60 countries, at, you know, today at, 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 you know, a given moment. It's, it's, I don't have an answer for what we should have done differently. Everyone wants yeah. to, uh, you know, look at this and, and hopefully learn from it. But, uh, you know, the, the sad truth is, is Afghanistan is a uh, is a worse place for the people. And I think it's a worse place for our security. And, it, you know, unfortunately, those uh, brave military members, uh, you know, sacrificed their lives. Uh, you know, many of those Marines, you know, as we were withdrawing. Yeah. I, I wonder the attitude, the reflections that you're sharing now, how widespread is that? You have obviously as a, a retired U.S. Army Green Beret, a lot of contacts still in the military and uh, you know, discuss um, what happened in Afghanistan and other places that you've served here. Um, is there a help us understand how military people think of the Afghanistan experience? Perhaps are you a are you a, a sort of a mainstream opinion in what you just expressed, or are you an outlier? Is there a a spectrum? Are there people who say we should have definitely stayed there, at least with a a, a few thousand people, and others saying we should have gone, been gone long ago? Is that the spectrum in military? Yeah, it, it's. I, I think you know the the easy answer is is people would just say, uh, well, we should have had a plan in place, and we would have, you know, ultimately um, exited Afghanistan with everybody. But you know what that looks like in reality, um, exiting everybody. Um, you know, does it look like similar to what happened in, in Kabul? And and you know, we see a Chinook, you know, taking off. Um, you know, reminiscent of Vietnam. Do we do we see a C-17 with people falling off the sides? You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm of the the sense that I think you know more, you know, aligned with probably what Green Berets all all uh, you know think and feel is that you know we probably should be maintaining a presence over there. Um, you know, we should be should supporting not. them. There should. You know, we we should we, we, we should we should be okay. Sorry, yeah. We just, I think we, green, yeah, yeah, Green Berets. Uh, and and you know, I think the problem with this war is you know we we thought about it as iraq where you know you almost you know think about you know modern you know day we've got uh you know russia you know rolling up tanks and and jumping in vehicles and going straight across the border you know this this is this was not iraq um this was afghanistan you know there the the tribal differences were much more intricate and and um difficult to understand um, you know, than than just kind of uh, you know fighting you know a, a government regime versus fighting an ideology. I think this this we should have left it you know smaller with with special operations, um, you know maintaining a, you know a lower profile presence than um, you know a full on you know uh, you know right. big buildup. You know ultimately what we did and we occupied and and um, you know we knew that di- diplomacy would would not work with you know the I mean the ideologies and, and the the culture that, you know that's over there and um, you know same Wouldn't with we, you know the yeah. go ahead even with a small even with the small forces you know as an alternative wouldn't be we would we were propping up a definitely a corrupt government and how long would that have lasted but that's you're saying that's better than the alternative of yeah no i mean a corrupt government you know i had an old commander that would didn't allow me to use the word corrupt but uh a a corrupt government is is better than a government that has ability to to plan um you know four aircraft uh, filled with fuel and and uh, you know citizens from all around the nation crashing into the towers of you know pentagon into a field in in uh, pennsylvania 
right? Well, yeah, yeah. No, no argument from me on that one. Uh, on that point, um, in July, the very last day of July, as a matter of fact, uh, the 31st of this year, a U.S. drone strike killed the uh, al-Qaeda, the head of al-Qaeda in Kabul, where uh, he was living under apparent official protection. A lot of debate about what this means. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, what that says about the, the threat that uh, Afghanistan today poses as a base for al-Qaeda, a threat to us here in the U.S. or U.S. Uh, resources around the world? Yeah, look, I, I, I applaud the mission. Um, the the uh, 9-11 Memorial Museum, you know, something I spent a lot of my time volunteering with, um, you know, came out with an official statement. And, you know, it, uh, it brings up a lot of emotions for those from the 9-11 community because of, you know, his ties, you know, you know, directly with bin Laden. And you think about why we why we went uh, to war in Afghanistan, um, you know, it was to, to rid um, Afghanistan of those type of, you know, people. Um, I, I think that if we, you know, going back to my, you know, kind of mention of a, you know, small strategic, uh, you know, special operations assets, uh, you know, I, I, you know, where we would you know, maintain intel like that, I think we could have done that with a lot fewer um, American loss of lives, a lot fewer uh, loss of, you know, Afghanistan lives. And, in, in, you know, Afghanistan would probably look similar like it does today under, you know, Taliban control. But, I, but, but at least I think they'd have a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a check, uh, a gut check of, of where, how far they want to allow and support kind of the extremist, um, you know, teachings and ideologies. Mm-hmm. And, and, and oh. you know, one thing that's really sad is is women, you know, children. Um, you know, Habib, you know, who we've talked about, you know, just you know moments ago. You know, his 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 daughters can't you know go to school. His wife, um, you know, who you know, unlike the norm when you know she faced, uh, you know, we use a social media. And I'm, I'm not going to mention the platform, but you know, we we do a, a similar type FaceTime with our families, and and you know, she she can be herself. But when she goes out in public, she has to travel with a male. She has to you know fully clothe, and and um, you know, there's there's a you know a lot of freedoms that you know I guess Afghanistan you know, had to will have to give up. Um, and, and they had some of those freedoms in, in uh, you, know, you know, many of the, the larger villages, the major cities while we were there. But, you know, those were, were quickly, uh, you know, taken away. We have a final 10 minutes with our guest today, John Paluska, retired U.S. Army Green Beret, 9-11 recovery and rescue volunteer, co-founder of the 9-11 Memorial uh, Museum Visionary Network, native of Ottumwa, Iowa. Um, I guess to finish up, and, and it, just to put it in a nutshell, if you could, uh, can we keep terrorism at bay without U.S. boots on the ground in Afghanistan? The, the president says, you know, these over-the-horizon uh, capabilities, uh, you know, finding uh, our uh, en- enemies, those who wish us harm, and taking them out without boots on the ground. Uh, with your special forces background, is that viable? Is that a good strategy? I think over the horizon capabilities is is not on par with the Taliban in Afghanistan and in other you know locations in in that part of the globe. I I, I don't. I what do you I mean by not on par, not on par? What do you mean by that? You you can't replace humans. Um, you know, one of the core competencies of you know the Green Berets is in in you know U.S. Special Operations is you know humans can't re- be replaced by hardware. And, you know, I, I think that will always be the truth. You know, you're not going to be able to in the future put machines in without, you know, you know, technicians operating them, fixing them, you know, deploying them. 
Um, there's limited ability that you can do. I mean, we have communications assets that can, you know, collect, gather, um, analyze, and, you know, make, you know, uh, decisions based on that. Um, but, you know, people are smart and, and you know, Habib is, he taught me a lot when we were deployed together um, and he knows a lot right now and he's he's maintained his ability to stay alive despite, you know, the, the hit list on him, you know, because he's, you know, thinking like a human and he's working his own kind of, uh, you know, source network out there. Um, you know, one, one thing I hadn't, you know, talked about is, is uh, you know, earlier this year in March, I helped fund um, a mission to get him to Turkey where I was going to fly over. I've got uh, some friends over there and we were going to pick him up just beyond the uh, the border, and it was about a uh, a ten day a ten day mission to move him from eastern Afghanistan through Iran into uh, Turkey, and uh, it it was intense. I, I was completely distracted from you know my family. I was distracted and you, from work. You were over that. You were over there. How did the mission go? You you didn't extract him. No, no, I, I, well, I, I was to the point where I was almost booking my ticket to pick him up in, in Turkey. Um, I was uh, here in, in the U.S. receiving all his, uh, you know, pings. He'd turn his cell phone on. He'd ping me a location, give me, give me an update. Um, you know, he, he faced some of the most brutal and enduring, you know, I think of, of like ranger school, lack of food, lack of sleep. Um, I mean, his, his feet were, you know, he had to go through mountains where they had a ditch, uh, automobiles, they had to acquire motorcycles. And, you know, on day, about day nine, he, he arrived, uh, you know, on the, uh, just outside of the, 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 one of the checkpoints into Turkey. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was about a two, three day process where, um, you know, he, he got spotted one night, the next night he said he was too drained from, you know, the reserves of just, you know, lack of food, fuel, um, you know, you look at photos from him, you know, immediately following this, you know, mission that he's been sending me versus, you know, before, I mean, he, he lost an incredible amount of weight, but he, he ultimately got picked up the second night. Cause he said, I, I can't live like this anymore. I have to try tonight. You know, I'll try to ping you every two hours. And he, and he pinged me, he, he would ping me his location. And, um, I didn't hear from him for about six hours, eight hours, and it was nearly two days. And if I finally, I mean, I, I was just. It, it was terrorizing to me thinking what had happened. And he finally let me know. He said, hey, I'm in the, I'm in the back of a truck. Uh, I'm, I'm back in Iran. I was picked up by, uh, you know, the Turkish Border Patrol. And, um, you know, they say that they're going to transport me to, um, you know, drop me off in western Afghanistan. And, you know, I, I had a little bit of a sigh of relief. He also mentioned he got beat up pretty bad. And, you know, they just you know, that wasn't what I was worried about. I just wanted to make sure he survived. And, you know, once he got back inside of Afghanistan, I was able to, you know, get him some more money to, to get food and, and health care. And he actually had to rest for about two weeks before he could start his journey to go back and uh, relocate with his family. Leave us with some uh, some words of hope about uh, getting your friend uh, Habib out of Afghanistan and, and perhaps how we can help. Um just in, in kind of social justice reform, you know, those wrongfully imprisoned, you know, what we've seen, they've been able to do and make a new life um, when given the opportunity. You know, you think refugees um, and, and you know, more relative to, to Habib, this, uh, you know, mission that I'm on to, to bring him to America, uh, to bring him to safety, to, to help him support his family. Um, you know, Finn and my wife, you know, we're family, we're friends, you know, we, we, chat on, you know, FaceTime type communications, it would be um, 
I think, life-changing to, to those. And I think the story, you think about the, the military and recruiting and, you know, what has all has happened, you know, to, to show that, you know, we don't always abandon. If, if, you know, someone's abandoned that has been there, you know, we try to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm setting up a, a fundraiser uh, for Habib at uh, orlandocharitygolf.com. OrlandoCharityGolf.com. We, we have spent a lot of funds, uh, you know, fundraising for the Green Beret Foundation. You know, we helped one of my friends go, and he's demining, you know, Ukraine right now, and he's he got, you know, another Purple Heart recipient missing, you know, basically his foot. Um, and and so I, I really want to, you know, bring Habib. I, I mean, I'm I'm dearly, um, you know, dedicated to to uh, you know seeing him have this new life. Um, and you know, we we did so much for for uh you know that country and we left it in the uh, state it's in <laughs> I, I i can't he's he's he, he's got to be on a c-17 um, or some type of distraction coming back to america and, and we got to make it right for what he did he saved my life he saved so many americans that i served with life and um you know again we'll continue to keep people posted on his story at www.orlandocharitygolf.com that's about it John Paluska, thank you so much. Uh, native of Ottumwa, uh, retired U.S. Army Green Beret, so many other important things you've been involved with. John, I hope we get a chance to talk again. Thank you so much for now. Thank you again, Ben. Thanks. River to River, produced today by Samantha McIntosh. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us. You already know you carry all of your favorite podcasts in your pocket. But did you know you can carry all of Iowa Public Radio, too? Just tell your phone to play Iowa Public Radio, News, Studio One, or Classical, anytime for your favorite stream.